Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. So dear friends, I want to share with you this morning, first of all, welcome to Free Life Community Church. I'm glad you're here today. Welcome to our Mecca campus and those of you online. Uh, can somebody go let Beth in? She's uh, stuck outside the door. <laughs> here it comes. Somebody keeps locking that door. Well, that door we don't, the keys, yeah, we, don't have, we haven't rekeyed yet. And everybody went to get her in, yeah. <laughs> no, but come back now. <laughs> Anyway, so welcome to our Mecca campus. Those of you online, grateful, thankful that you could be here today. Uh, I'm excited about this sermon series because it's one of the most practical series I've ever done. And the reason is because I've decided not to be so incredibly theologically deep necessarily as I typically seem to be, uh, but I've decided to this time shift a little bit into more practicality, still keeping the depth of the truth. I think that's important. And so in this series, Living a Godly Life in an Ungodly Society, I've entitled this message, The Face of Courage. And it doesn't come from any one particular scripture. I don't have a theme here. In fact, I have a bunch of scriptures in it. But I noticed as I was putting this together uh, several months ago, uh, around about Easter of last, this past year, maybe just before that, March, I think. In any case, as I was putting this together, I knew it was going to come out at a time that I needed to, and God hadn't told me when we were going to use it. Uh, That's the thing about being a pastor. If you're going to follow the Lord's leading, you don't really know why God asked you to do certain things or the timing of the things that he's given you. And so timing is everything. And just because you create a message doesn't mean God wants you to preach it Sunday. You follow me? And so, you know, I put this series together, and, and now I do it not knowing if it's ever going to be preached. I think sometimes you put together sermons and messages, and God did it for you, not anybody else. And so, sometimes it's rough on you when you learn that. And so, this series, though, he did, he did tell me in the fall, in the beginning of the fall, and I think this is the perfect timing. We've got about three more of these to go. Uh, either way, I hope that they've been enlightening to you. But courage, my friends, as I thought about it, isn't something that we always have. Is it? Courage is not something we always have, but it's almost always something that I, for one, have admired in others. Anybody ever admired courage in other people? Yeah. So we acknowledge it, we write about it, we talk about it, you know, uh, and and we certainly uh, applaud it. And a lot of times we wish we had it. That's for sure. But I noticed that courage is a virtue. Now, it isn't always by choice. Uh, Jay, can you make sure that that door remains open out there? Uh, It isn't always by choice, but it's of necessity, being a virtue. And it must be found in Christians, especially, my friends, if we're really going to live a godly life in an ungodly society. Don't you think? Anybody realize or recognize yet that it's going to take courage to live a godly life in an ungodly society? You see, the pendulum has swung. 
It began in a time when there were very few Christians and a pretty ungodly world around it. And those people had to stand with courage on the premises that Christ had given them. And praise God, they continued to do it. And then by storm, Christianity took hold. And then more and more people began uh, running toward it and becoming Christians. And then, of course, the, the new world came here to the United States, was established. And from there then, uh, and somebody keeps locking that door. <laughs> we need to make sure that door is kept open, please. <laughs> okay. Anyway, and then so uh, a lot that you found that when the nation was founded, then uh, almost everybody was a Christian, and you know it was no big deal because almost everybody was one. Whether you're Roman Catholic or Protestant, didn't really matter. You know, we're all considered Christians, and so it became. And then, of course, these other religions started uh, cropping up. Not going to get into what they are. It's not a sermon about that today. Uh, but there were some false religions and things that happened. Uh, but by and large, most everybody did the right thing, and you know why most people did the right thing? is because most everybody was a Christian. But now, it's, the noose is tightening, and we're getting squeezed, and now no longer are most people in the United States a Christian. In fact, there are less Christians than unbelievers. And the pendulum has what? Swung. And so we're finding ourselves at the crux and the crossroads of this area where we have to have more courage like those of the early church did. Years and years and years ago. We haven't gotten to the point where our lives might be in danger, really, across the board. In some countries, that's true. But I believe the day will happen right here when our lives will be in danger simply because we believe ourselves to be a Christian. And that's going to take courage. But friends, i got news for you. It's going to take courage long before that day comes. Because you're going to have to stand for the right when the wrong wants to take over. You're going to have to stand as an individual as well as a church and a church universal because Satan desperately wants to turn us from Christ. He desperately wants to make his way in this world and I got news for you, he's getting it. He's getting it. Now he won't win. But I wonder at what cost will the church survive? How many Christians will either be turned away from their salvation or be too complacent to stand? Or how many Christians will straight up give it up? And how many people will falsely believe they're Christian and they aren't? There's an awful lot of that happening even now. And so as I began to think about it, I realized that it was courage, friends, that compelled people before us. It was courage that compelled David to face a lion, go toe-to-toe with Goliath, who was a giant. It was courage that empowered Elijah the prophet to stand against the world on Mount Carmel. It was courage that infused the three Hebrew guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that we sometimes call Rakshak and Benny. But it was courage that kept them from, to, from bowing and refusing to bow to the golden statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. It was courage that helped Daniel to stand for his religious convictions, even though he knew it was possible that a lion would tear him to shreds. It was courage that prompted a handful of uneducated fishermen and laborers who became the 12 chosen disciples of Jesus Christ. 
to proclaim boldly the message of Jesus Christ, even in the face of opposition, persecution, and even death. And they all faced it, every one of them. It was courage that welled up within Stephen, probably the most heartfelt of all Christ's apostles. And courage that caused him to stand and face the stones and the rocks of hatred as they were hurled at him, which is why God chose him. And in all of those instances, as I began to look at them, every single one of them, each person chose courage. You see, the necessity for courage is absolute in the Christian faith. Because the world is instinctively the enemy of the Christian faith. Now, I need you to understand that for a minute. The world is the enemy of the Christian faith. It isn't you per se. It's the faith itself. And that faith is what? Faith in the one who came to save us. And so, whose enemy is the world? Jesus. And if you belong to him, you're an enemy. And you know, friends, I, I will grant you that there are varying degrees and forms of opposition. Some of them are harsh, some of them are kind of medium, and some of them aren't so bad. But you never know that until you get into it, usually. Sometimes they're violent and brutal. And there he is closing that door again. No, he's opening it. All right. Tell him not to close that door, please. <laughs> People can't get in if we do that. Open the door. <laughs> Open the door. <laughs> okay. Fire, swords, guns have taken the lives of many believers. Sometimes our opposition is subtle. Sneaky and underhanded. Yet, oftentimes just as brutal. Societies don't seem to be real picky in their weapons of choice. Usually it's whatever weapon of evil that's available to them or what's popular. And really when evil reigns, whatever gives them pleasure in using isn't that sad? But let's face it. The spirit of this world is hostile toward the spirit of Jesus Christ. Would you agree? And the courage to stand up against it may be more significant, I think, when the opposition is soft-spoken and seemingly harmless. More so than when it's boisterous and outright nasty. You see how we seem to want to get along with it when it's soft-spoken? More so than it's when you're in your face and boisterous. I'd rather they be boisterous and in my face because I see it coming. But when it's sneaky, low-mannered, and quiet. Now that one's harder to see. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth with this message. He says, 
Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now that message, friends, to the first century church is the same message that God's delivering to the modern church today. The only difference is it's going to be more important and more necessary for us because the difficulties we're going to face in these last days are more so than the ones they faced. That, friends, the Bible says is a fact. So the million-dollar question here then is how will we show people in the modern age our courage as the church of Christ, as Christians in this evil world? In other words, what must we do? And everybody wants to know. You know why we want to know? Not so we know what to do, but so that we'll know if we're going to do it. Let that sink in a minute. See, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking out of, my, out of my ears here. I'm not talking out of my head. Can somebody open that door? Please. I don't know. Maybe we just need a door guard. I don't know. Uh, no, you stay right where you're at. <laughs> You'll disappear. Or worse, be... Never mind. <laughs> anyway, I want that to sink into your, your thought process for a minute. This is very important. Okay? We want to know what to do as far as being courageous in the church, not because we'll know what to do, but if we're going to do it. Whether we'll accept the challenge to be courageous. See, your, your decision to be courageous oftentimes stems from your desire to be courageous. The decisions you'll make. And I'll tell you something, friends. That's not what courage is. That's what we've made it, but that's not its intent. And here's the thing. Let me tell you what you're going to have to do. Number one, you're going to have to face your fears. Nobody wants to do that. I don't like facing my fears. Who in here loves facing fear? I doubt it. Then you're not really that fearful. And I can tell you, as a child, I, uh, and I've, I've said it before, uh, but I, I went to the funeral home when I was a, a young boy, and it scared the snot out of me. I'd never seen that before. And I had nightmares about it. And from that point forward, death was a fear. And my wife knows that I forced myself to work in a funeral home to get over it. And now? Now I'd like to tell you that the funeral home, you know, working there was the only thing that did it. Now, my belief in Jesus Christ is what really did it. You won't know the truth of it. Sure, I faced him, having to deal with it every day. And I realize it's really no big deal. But the fact of the matter is, it's less of a deal because of my faith in Christ. And I know that death is only a stepping stone to life. You see, but you're going to have to face your fears. In Joshua 1, 6 to 9 and verse 18, God tells him, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. 
Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, and then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you shall go. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only if you'll be strong and courageous. Again, we all fear something. Joshua was called to lead, and after Moses died, I tried to get in the head of Joshua, and I realized that he is called by the Lord. He has been second in command all this time, but he also has been the leader of the army. And I have to tell you, military commanders and politicians are two different things. Some have tried to do both. They're usually really good at one and pretty poor at the other. Some have been good enough at both. But the fact of the matter is, Joshua is called by God, and he is not the one almost anybody would have chosen to go there. Probably Aaron would have been the one that the people would have chosen. And, of course, he is. He seemed to give them what they wanted. Well, Joshua wasn't going to do that, and God knew it. And so God chose him. And so the more I thought about that, as he calls Joshua you know, to lead the people of Israel into the promised land, I'm sure he felt a couple of things. I'm sure he felt weak. I'm sure he felt a little bit unworthy. I'm sure he was afraid as he considered this massively monumental task that he was going to undertake. And you'll notice that God gave him a little pep talk here. Four times in this passage, God tells him to be strong and courageous and not to fear and he'll give him whatever he wants, and he'll, he'll be there for him, if only he'll be strong and courageous. Four times, God tells him. If I'm told more than twice, it starts to upset me. Yeah, you told me that. No, no, no. Be strong and courageous. Yeah, you told me that already. Don't you hate it when somebody tells you the same story over and over and over again and keep laughing about it? You know, and you know who it is don't you? you? That person just came to your mind right now. But this sermon ain't about them. This sermon's about God when he continually has to tell you, do this, do this, do this. Don't do this. Stay away from that. And God's good at reminding us, isn't he? But we still get upset when it happens. But the fact of the matter is, Joshua was no different from us. He was afraid. He had questions. He had doubts. So do we. We all have. He had been in the land as a spy 40 years earlier, and it's funny how age will change you. I suspect Joshua wasn't nearly as bold 40 years later. But that didn't matter to God how old he was, did it? God still called him. You see, God doesn't care what, how old you are. He doesn't care what you think of yourself. He doesn't even care what other people think of you. He doesn't care if you think you can do it or you can't. He's only concerned with whether you want to or not, whether you're obedient or not. He's still going to call. 
And you have a choice right there. We all do. Joshua remembered these huge armies 40 years prior and how the cities were so well protected. And now instead of the guy leading the army to go do it, he's leading the whole nation of people. And he's responsible, not just for the men in the army, but for the women and children too. And that changes things for him. In fact, he knows that the task before him is not going to be a cakewalk. But more than that, he also found out pretty quickly that fear is debilitating. It's debilitating. Fear stops progress in his tracks more than anything else on the face of the planet. Oh, well, we'll call it other things. We'll give excuses for this thing or that person or the circumstance or, you know, their lack of resources or who knows what. But really, most of the time, it's really fear. And you know what courage is? Admitting that first. You'll never get past it if you don't. You got to admit that fear is what does it. Because fear destroys dreams and it sabotages plans. Have you ever noticed that? It prevents us from starting our journey or even standing our ground. Why? Why does fear do that? Because it paralyzes us. It makes us unable to act. Because everybody, again, is afraid of something. Why? Because fear is this universal emotion. Heroes are afraid. One of the most truthful scenes in one of my favorite movies, The Last Samurai. This American captain from the Civil War and Indian Wars is somewhat of a prisoner in Japan as he's teaching them how to soldier. And he becomes enamored with the samurai. And through a strange series of events, he kills one of the samurai and ends up living with the man's family, including his two young boys. And as their lives are being threatened, he has changed sides because he sees courage in a new way. And he has a whole new lease on life. And this young man is fearful that he's going to lose this guy too, whom he's been close to. And he tells him, you've been in many battles. And you know what he says? And I was always afraid. Why? Because fear is, again, universal. The brave are fearful, too. If they aren't, it's false confidence. There's a lot of that, too much of it. Did you know that the confident are fearful? Sometimes fearful failure, but they're fearful nonetheless. It's been said that courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the ability to continue in spite of it. Well, that's pretty good stuff right there. In fact, fear is so common that it appears in every single thing we do or even consider that we might do. Just because somebody is courageous doesn't mean they don't fear, and yet... It's been proven over and again, and I myself know as well as you do, that we can overcome fear. We can overcome it. 
But to overcome it, what do we have to do? Face it. God says, walk toward your fear with boldness. And you're like, huh, really? All right, God. Not your answer, but deep down in here, maybe not. You might tell God yes, kind of like the prodigal did. Remember, the prodigal said no. The one that stayed home said yes, but he didn't do it. We don't talk about that very often. We talk about the one who said no and then came back and did it. But what about the brother that said yes and never kept his end of the bargain? I think there's a lot more of us than the prodigals out there. Have you considered that? Most of the time, we have good intentions of something, then we go back on it because fear got the better of us. We didn't even start because somebody came and told us, have you considered this, this, and this, and all these things? And what if this happens? What if that doesn't happen? What if? What if has killed more things than anything else just because of fear? Now, some might consider walking towards your fear as foolish, and maybe at times it is. Listen, I have to tell you, I know that if you are someplace you didn't belong and somebody's got a pit bull or a Rottweiler, you know, facing you and it's growling, I would say, don't run toward it. Just say it. Right? I mean, come on, we got to use common sense here. Because that's just blind stupidity, really. And you're tempting fate. But God says to face your fears and walk toward them when he lines them out for you. Now, that's a different ballgame here. You see, God's called you into that one. Whole new thing. With God, we make this deliberate decision to take steps uh, forward in spite of our fears, knowing that he's going to go before us. And maybe we don't know what the outcome's going to be. And maybe we don't know the pain it might cause. Maybe we don't know whether or not we're going to even survive it or not. But God does. And if, if he knows and he sent us, it doesn't matter anyway. You know what your fear is? That God won't let you live, and that's what you want to do. Or that God won't keep you from harm, and that's what you don't want. You see? We don't trust God. That's the problem. Isn't it? You see, when we face our fears with God, we know that the mighty forces of the physical, the mental, and the spiritual are going to be with us. Why? Because God gave them to us. And we're not using them in a manner and way outside of his will. And that's, that's been done before. And that's not a good idea. But in this case, when he's in it, he's given you everything you need to do it. Including the call. And he will assist us in our venture. For example, while it was still a small stone, but yet moving at great speed and centrifugal force, it killed Goliath. It was a small stone. But God used that stone to kill a mighty giant. And you know what really did it? It wasn't the stone that killed it. It was the courage of the young man who slung it that killed the giant. You see, the stone was just a tool. There were a lot of stones out there. Tons of them. But there was only one young man with the courage to obey God and stand against Him. 
while an army of armed swordsmen looked on. Hmm. Likewise, it was courage that came to the aid of Elijah, Daniel, Stephen, and all the other heroes of the Bible. None of these stories would have taken place if they didn't display courage and then act upon it. You have to face your fears. Secondly, you're going to have to take a stand. And this might be perhaps the most difficult because fear will keep us from doing that. But you're going to have to. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.2, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. And as you know, with the help of our God, we dared to tell you this gospel in the face of strong opposition. Well, I think we're kind of headed toward that again. You know, friends, Paul understands something, and I myself in my lifetime have found it to be true. God is enough. <laughs> Don't you hate it when the scripture's right there? God is enough. He's always been enough. He's always going to be enough. You see. Now, Paul begins to speak here of courage when he writes to the church of Thessalonica, and I would say that courage could be defined here as the ability to do what's right even when we don't have to do what's right. We've all been faced with that. Even when nobody will know if you did right or not, the courage is doing it when nobody will know. Because embedded in our courage is a conviction with the issues of the heart that we're going to live or die for. Catholic Bishop Francis Kelly uh, died in around 1942, I think, 1940-something or other. He was a wise and brilliant Christian and theologian. And just because he's Roman Catholic doesn't mean much to me. This man stood on the Scripture in the Word of God. And it was evident in everything he said and did. And he once wrote, Convictions are the mainsprings of action, the driving powers of life. What a man lives for are his convictions. So the way you live will prove what you're convicted of. What you live and how you live proves your convictions. And whether people know it or not, God knows right off the bat whether you're really a Christian or you're not. My dad used to say, he's probably listening. So dad, yeah, dad, I did listen to some things. I can fool some of the people all the time. And I can fool all of the people some of the time. But probably never going to fool all the people all the time. I got news for you. People don't matter here. You can never fool God any of the time. And stop worrying about what other people think. Stop worrying whether people think you're Christian or not. Stop worrying about whether God says so or not. That's where we have to go. That's where we have to start. Bishop Kelly understood that. In fact, Martin Luther, Martin Luther King, uh, the civil rights icon, often told his children, if a man has nothing that's worth dying for, then he's really not fit to live. Oh, my goodness. Shoot. Man, that's powerful. You see, we say no to those things that are wrong and yes to the right things. 
And I begin to think about that. Oh, if Christians would only live that way today, because we used to. We used to say no to the things that were wrong and yes to the things that were right, no matter what. We used to do that. But not so much anymore, and I think there are a few reasons for it. One, we simply don't want to. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. Friends, you know, maybe I'm too bold in my statements. Maybe I'm too in your face with it, but that's what I see. We don't really want to because people say I can't when it really means won't most of the time. We use can't as a crutch. I've been at things where I couldn't do it. I can't. But most of the times when I said can't, it really was I wasn't willing to, which means won't. Now, if you try, I mean really try, and you really can't, then you really can't. I get it. But on a scale of 1 to 10, how often is that? Probably not very much. You know, I think today we prefer to consider ourselves a Christian while making up the rules of what Christianity is as we go along. I think you probably hear that from me every week. Why? Because it's happening. And I'm not crying wolf. The Word of God proves I'm not crying wolf. God's demands, His commands, prove nobody who says that is crying wolf. It's happening all, day, all over the place. It's happened in every church in the land. We make it up as we go. What suits us, what we want, what draws people for little regard of what the truth is. And you know, friends, when you get down to it, God says that's not Christian at all. Never has been. And I think the day's going to come when God's going to look us in the face and there's going to be some other things he says besides what the Bible says. Yeah, I know you thought that was Christianity. The fact is, it never was. I know you thought it. I was with you every day when you said it. But you never sought my approval on it. You never thought, you know, sought what I wanted to say about it. And the word of God, the word I gave you, was right there. And you still made up your way. Give me a lot of people he says that to. Right before judgment, you know. Right? Because the people he says that to didn't go through the narrow gate. They're going to go through the wide gate. Then they're going to find out what path they're on. Then they're going to run up to him and make a plea. And he's going to say, wait, wait a minute. Did you ever look to the word? Or did you just make it up as you went? And they know the answer. Well, we quoted the scripture. Which one? You quoted it the way you thought it should read. Not what I said. Two different things. And yet we want to think as Christian. Why? Because we say so? Because there's churches full of people that say so? Friends, we all have the same manuscript available to us. It's right here. Everybody in here has got one probably. And if you don't see me, and you'll, you will. And you know what? I'll make a deal. I don't even care what version you want. You can have it. Because the most effective version of Scripture is? Yeah. The one you'll read. I'm not going to mince words of whether you've got an NLT or a CEV or an NIV or KJV or whatever it is. NRSV. Who cares? I don't care. I doubt God does either, really. And you know what Satan does? He makes this war in the church about, well, if you deviate from the KJV, well, 
Come on. Really? Just read it. And then do what? Follow it. Write it on your heart, the Bible says. Put it into action. I doubt seriously that you'll get one finger pointed at you in this congregation if you come in here with any version of them. We're just happy that you're reading it. I'm telling you. Now, maybe that wasn't true once upon a time, but it is now. We've got to get back to the basics of the Word of God. So how did this happen? When did it happen? I think I have the answer. Friends, complacency and conformity are the problem. They're our enemy. The, the opposite of courage is not cowardice anymore. It used to be, but it no longer is. You know what the, you know what the opposite of courage is? It's conformity. It's become conformity. Now you think about that for a minute. You heard it first here. The desire of the spirit of this world is conformity. The pack mentality. Go with the flow. Blend in. If you can't beat them, join them. You often hear, oh, just go be one of the boys. Go along with the crowd. Come on, everybody's doing it. I heard all of those things. So have you, unless you're a girl. You've heard all but one. Now, I realize that in some situations, we can't always walk away. So then what should we do? How about stand? That's what they did. When they couldn't walk away, they stood. And at times, you're going to be forced to take a stand. And if you don't, then you're not following him. And at these pivotal moments, friends, surrounded by enemies, we show the crowd who we really are. We always have. We always will. Who controls us? Who we serve? It's all right there and open for all to see. And unfortunately, it isn't always God that we're serving, is it? And if that's true, then it isn't God who controls us, is it? And it isn't God who makes us up, who makes up who we are. Why? Because the Spirit must not really have much of you. Martin Luther, not King, Martin Luther, once stood at the door of the Wittenberg Chapel in Germany, nailing his 95 theses on the door and exposing all the heresy, corruption, and the hypocrisy of people having to pay money for their sins to be forgiven. And he said, Here I stand as I can do no other. Now, Martin Luther wasn't necessarily the hero that some people make him out to be. In fact, he was a drunk, and a womanizer, and all sorts of other things too. But on this, he was right. He was right. And that's what he's remembered for, what he did right. Will you be remembered for what you do right? How will God remember you? You can be sure that many in leadership were against him, but he stood nevertheless. Right now, there's a Marine Corps lieutenant colonel by the name of Stuart Scheller. 
He has been removed from command of his battalion, brought up on charges, and is going to be thrown out of the Marine Corps, completely forfeiting his retirement, just three years shy of earning it. He did it by choice. Why? Now, I'm not championing doing wrong. And some of the things he's done here are probably questionable. But the principle that he stands on is correct. You know why? Because he called out the commandant of the Marine Corps. He called out the generals above him. He called out the Secretary of Defense, and he called out President Biden in video. <laughs> why? Because of the debacle of withdrawing troops from Afghanistan and getting all those Marine sailors and civilians killed. Just because somebody wanted it. W listen, withdrawal is not the problem. How you do it is. You don't leave billions of dollars worth of warfare equipment and leave people behind. That happened to Benghazi, too. Different president. Listen, you know what I found? And I'm not on a soapbox here. This isn't about me. Don't, don't, don't hear that. But I've listened to this man speak. I don't think it's for attention. I don't. He's trying to hold people accountable who made those decisions for those screw-ups, for that mess-up. Listen, you make a wrong decision, own it. At least own it and say, yep, I screwed that up. But don't let other people down the chain of command take the fall for you because they've got less to lose than you because they don't have the rank you do. That's, that's shameful. It makes me sick to my stomach. And it's not just, I'm just using that as an example. There's a gazillion of them. I wonder how many people lower on the food chain took the fall for something that a politician or a general or somebody in a high position covered up. Probably more than we ever ever going to know. I saw it in the Marine Corps time and again. And the fact is, he knows there were flaws. He knows there were poor decisions. He knew they screwed up. He thinks those who made the decisions ought to be held accountable and say, hey, I did it. That's all he's asking. The families of the dead think these guys ought to be accountable. <laughs> what a difference the president makes. I'm not, I'm not taking sides here. But I can tell you, when Trump did something wrong, the media was all over it. But when this one does something wrong, nothing's said. And I'll tell you something else. When the dead people's families confronted him, and he was rude to him, did that hit CNN headline news? No, it didn't. Friends, I'm not telling you to take sides. I don't want you to take sides. I want, the only side I want you to be on is his, on God's side. But right is right and wrong is wrong. And what seems to happen here is that complacency and conformity happen when the devil has his way. And when he rules the kingdom, we're going to succumb to it. We have been succumbing to it. And these people are trying to make an example out of Lieutenant Colonel Scheller. They want to shut him up. In fact, they're threatening him, threatening him with pre-trial confinement. Pre-trial confinement for making a video? Why? To shut him up. And this isn't about him. I'm simply using that as an example because it's happening right now. I want you to see what Satan will do to keep the truth sequestered. He will do anything 
to keep you from believing it, from reading it, from practicing it, and from teaching it. And he's done a pretty jam-up good job of doing it in the church right now. Because he's giggling, because if the church won't stand for the truth, if the church won't preach the truth, if the church won't practice the truth, why does he have to bother with people outside the church? And he doesn't. He's already got them. You know the only threat to them? It's us. The only threat to him is us. Those who will stand for the truth. Now, I don't... Lieutenant Colonel Shelter might not have done it right, but his principles are right. Lord knows I haven't always done it right. You haven't always done it right. But the principle is what counts. Now listen, I'm not suggesting that anybody break the law. But most of us, I think, would simply back down and conform when the fire gets too hot. Or if we stand to lose too much. And I'm grateful that Jesus didn't back down when the fire was too hot or when he stood to lose it all. Right? Now I'm not comparing this lieutenant colonel to Christ. I'm not doing that. Don't hear me say that. But I know there's going to be a choice to be made and there's going to be something that's facing you and you're either going to follow Christ and do the right thing or you're not. And you can't halfway do the right thing. The Bible talks about that too. Revelation chapter 1. I'd rather you be hot or cold. <laughs> because lukewarm ain't going to make it. That's coming from the Lord himself. And I began to think about what Christ did, and I thought in losing it all, he gained even more. And if we're willing to lose it all in this life, for the next, we'll gain even more too. But we're too used to the idea of holding on to what we've got here. It seems to be more important than what's to come. Now, either you're afraid of the consequences or what you'll go through here, or you don't believe there's more. Which is it? Do you believe there's more? And if you don't, man up, woman up. Christian up, yeah. If you don't think so, then God, God will, he can deal with that. If you say, God, I just don't, I just, I'm not sure. Okay, let me give you proof. When I was selling stuff, and I don't think I'm selling Christianity, friends. It may look the same, but it didn't. But when I was selling stuff, and people came to me with an objection, I could handle that. If they came to me with an I don't know indifference, I could offer proof. But you know what I couldn't deal with? Complacency. Nobody can. If I walk into your house with a Kirby vacuum, do you want this? I would like a yes or no. But when you say, I don't know, I can't do anything with you. You see? We're, we're doing that with our Christianity. We're doing it with our faith. We're doing it with our courage. We're doing it with the Almighty God we serve. I don't know. And even if you won't say it, you think it or you feel it. I don't know. And God wants you to know. He wants you to know. My, my, my. And as Christians, 
We're going to have to start acting like it, stopping our complacency. Stop conforming to this world. Stop making up our belief system as we go along because God is an absolute and so must we be. And when we are, we're going to have to act bravely. <laughs> Did I lose anybody yet? When someone says you're going to have to act bravely, how many of you start to shrink and cower? Because you don't want to. I don't care if you've never done it in your life. Now's the time to start. You're not alone. First of all, you're not the only Christian that feels that way. But more than that, God's never going to leave or forsake you. He said so. Either you believe that or you don't. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity. Then why do we have it? He gave us a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. Then why don't we have those? If God gave us these things, why do we display timidity instead of those things? Because Satan has more of us than God does. That's why. That's the only reason. Again, courage is being willing to admit it. And now you can do something with it. And if you're going to act bravely, you first got to start with the part of it. Forget about the brave, just act. You can't be brave if you don't act. So let's start there. Because action is always at the heart of courage. It always has been, always will be. As Paul writes this passage in his second letter to Timothy, he's reminding us that God gives us his spirit and his power for the sole purpose that we will act. It's been that way with every single one of them. Every Christian has come before you, every Christian now, and everyone is going to be after you. There once was a seamstress from Montgomery, Alabama. She was a member of the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church and a devoted Christ follower. And she believed Jesus had something to teach a segregated world about love, justice, and community. One morning on December of, of 1955, a bus driver told her she had to vacate her seat and move to the back of the bus simply because she was black. African-American, whatever you want to call it. I'm not sure what's correct today. And one of the most courageous choices in the 20th century. She did not move. She started a revolution. And the following Monday night, over 10,000 people of all races and all followers of Christ gathered together at her church to pray and ask God, what should we do next? Standing shoulder to shoulder for the right. Because of that choice, a revolution started that wasn't easy. It had a high cost. Many were beaten. Many were imprisoned. Some even died. But it began to change the conscience of a nation. Now, it didn't turn it around completely, but it did change it. Now, you could say, not necessarily for the better. And maybe that's true. But it was still the right thing to do. All because this mild-mannered, soft-spoken, Christ-following seamstress dared to act. And as our worship team comes, please understand, this is not my soapbox, as I said before. This is not about me. I don't want it to be. I never designed it to be. Lord knows it's always been about Him. That's always my aim. But I've taken a stand against the mainstream establishment 
of this new age Christianity that is taking our modern church by storm. Sometimes I feel like I'm pretty much alone in it. Sometimes I have this tacit acknowledgement and approval by other pastors who aren't nearly as vocal as I am. And I don't know what's the right way to do it and what isn't. But I can tell you that this new brand of Christianity, friends, is one that I recognize where you can do anything you want, believe any way you like, and still call yourself a Christian. With no regard to whether God does or not. All the while believing that because God is merciful and has offered you grace and grace to other sinners, that he will look the other way and allow you to think and feel whatever you want. We've been told, it's been drilled in our heads, because you feel, you can feel any way you want. No, you can't. God doesn't give you that, that authority. God doesn't say that. Because now, feeling has been translated into thinking and believing. That's what it's done. I feel this or I feel that. What you really mean is I think or believe that. It's got nothing to do with feeling, but that's what we've made it because it's feeling, see. And the fact of the matter is, I will quote these scriptures alone. God is no respecter of persons. The apostles Paul and Peter, respectively, Romans 2 and Acts 10, they both said it. Moreover, Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Likewise, there will be judgment. Mark you this. Re Revelation eleven eighteen. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Because that's what they're doing. When God has to destroy the earth, it's because people follow Satan more than him. That's why it's going to take place. Action in Christianity as a rarity anymore. We might take action if we've been wronged or our blood's boiling for some reason or another, but not for Christianity. And that's backwards. We're content to let somebody else do it. We're apathetic about situations, causes, and problems, or we feel overwhelmed by what we have to do or when we have to take a stand. We don't like to be uncomfortable, and we hate the idea of standing alone. We've been sucked into this attitude that says, my vote, my effort, or my voice, it won't matter, so why bother? People who are willing to muster the courage and dare to act inspire us to rise up beyond, beyond our own mediocrity and our own cynicism. And I pray, friends, that these courageous men and women will teach us how we can act courageously all to the glory of God. Not to ours, not even to the glory of our nation. Because if we honor God and glory Him, then our nation will participate in that. That's a fact. And when we stop doing that, it will cease. I know that with all that I am, because the Bible says so. And I pray that we do this all to the detriment of the ruler of this age and this world. May God reign supreme, and may he alone be praised. Now, what do you think?
Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.